Hi, this is Jesslyn Etchell, and I'm chatting with some of my favorite women in a series called Wildish Wise Women, Conversations with Everyday Goddesses. It's my passion to connect women and remind us that supporting one another is our greatest strength. These discussions are an extension of the in-person women's circles I lead in the Bay Area and will explore a variety of topics. Please note, we are adults having adult conversations. Subject matter and language may not be appropriate for young ears. Thanks for joining us. I'm honored to be speaking with Carla Grossini-Concha today. Carla is a mother of two, a wife, and a native New Yorker. She's been living in Southern California for the last 15 years. Lucky for us. Um, Lucky for me. Yeah. (laughs) Currently, her life's work and her dedication is to raising her beautiful rainbow baby. She also writes a blog about the journey of losing her first child and what parenting after loss is like for her. She's had some featured articles in Mother Magazine, as well as a print collection of stories of many mothers who've experienced infant and or pregnancy loss. And today she's going to talk about the layers of loss, sort of all the different ways that loss has come into her life and how it's transformed her. So before we launch into that, I just want to take a couple minutes to just take a couple deep breaths. If you're listening, you can do it with us too. Just kind of arrive to this space. (sighs) May each woman who needs the wisdom of this call find her way here. Mm -hmm. May we speak from the heart and create a wave of peace that radiates out on a global level. Mm -hmm. And may each woman remember her sacred nature and feel the value of her presence in this world. Okay. Carla, what's your favorite thing about being a woman? Mm. Uh, I think right now it's being a mother. Honestly, that's kind of a funny question because I don't think that I've ever thought about that ever. Like what's my favorite part about being a woman? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's okay to think. It's okay to be, you know, thinking about it. I like your original. I mean, that was your like guttural answer. That was yeah. your visceral. I think, in, in, I think because of how I grew up, there's actually a lot of, um, there's sort of an aversion as to like to have been born a, a woman in my family and my culture. Mm. So um, I've, I think only over the last 10, 15 years, been able to sort of embrace it more as I've gotten away from it. And now I'm really thankful that I have been able to, you know, carry children and, um, and to birth children and to nourish them from my body. I guess that's, that's primarily what I'm thankful for at this point. Yeah. And you mean um, coming from your family in Peru or are you talking about New York? <laughs> yeah, no, coming from my family in Peru. My, my okay. parents are from Peru, uh-huh. so I'm first generation. And um, growing up in a culture that's so focused on the male and the, the machismo, yeah. um, it's a sort of society, uh, my, there was so much more emphasis and love and support given to my brothers um, that, yeah, it just, being a, a female, a girl growing up, um, wasn't that, wasn't that advantageous, you know? Yeah. 
I think so. that's true for lots of cultures and I'm glad that we're swinging around and things are changing a bit. I think for sure. Well, I mean, we still have a long way to go, obviously, but <laughs> we so know that <laughs> we're bringing awareness to it at least and speaking out against it. right? Exactly. Yeah. And then raising an, an, a new generation that uh, speaks up, you know, for sure. Well, we'll launch into the topic and we, we talked about layers of loss. And so I'd like for you just to share in your words, because that's some of the power of all of this is just the story of Luca and how, how he came into this world and how he left this world so quickly. And and I'll just let you share um, from, from start to finish, if you want, how, however it comes out for you today. Okay. Uh, So I, I, I think that I've always wanted to be a mother I didn't really know how that was going to happen being a lesbian, especially, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties. And so, um, when marriage became legal, I think it sort of opened up our eyes, um, Gina and I to the fact that we could bring, um, children into this world and have it legally recognized and, you know, the, the tide was changing. So it, it really was. I, I remember when we, um, you know, we're setting goals in our sort of dream board for one year. And it was like going to, going on vacation to Europe, um, uh, doing the AIDS ride, um, kids. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we would check off boxes uh, of, of things that we wanted to do. And, and so kids, the box was open for a long time and then we finally checked yes. And, um, so that's where the idea of, of, uh, wanting children started or, you know, the, the journey really began, I think, well, before then, obviously, but truly the start to it. Um, so, you know, uh, being a lesbian couple, no, neither of us had any sperm available readily. Yes. And uh, so we had to go down. That was one down. thing. I love it. You said before, like yeah. Gina is everything I've ever wanted. She just yeah. doesn't give me any sperm. <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't have magic fingers. Yeah, we had any... to figure that one out. <laughs> well, I mean, she has magic fingers, but like not like that. <laughs> so, so we had to go through, um, we had to start looking at cryobanks and ultimately just filtering through all these profiles to decide who was going to be the father of our children. Um, so it started there and started going through, uh, we went straight to a reproductive endocrinologist because, because I'm considered advanced maternal age. And, um, we started getting all this testing done. And so even though the idea of having babies started around 2011, you know, we didn't ultimately start the process, actual insemination until 2012. We had two um, insemination cycles that didn't work, which was really nothing in comparison to how long people, women and families usually have to try. So we got pregnant. Just it's the IUI, which is real quick. That's just like the intrauterine insemination. Mm -hmm. So it's um, in case anyone doesn't know about that. Yeah, so uh, intrauterine insemination, they essentially, uh, the doctor is inserting a catheter into your um, uterus and depositing the, the, the sperm directly in there. So it's, um, they're not, the sperm aren't having to swim as far, and it's just a, it increases the chance of the probability. Yeah. Uh, so on the third try, uh, we were able to get pregnant with Luca, and it was, um, it was amazing. Uh, it was a really wonderful pregnancy. I've, I felt 
I felt, I felt, I felt glowy and beautiful and, um, I didn't have any health issues whatsoever. I decided, uh, we decided pretty early on that we wanted to go a more natural route. Um, you know, watching the business of being born and, and getting into the anime Gaskin, uh, her portfolio of work and books and just her community. And we really wanted to work with midwives and, mm-hmm. and longed for that. So, so we, we went from wanting a natural birth to deciding ultimately that we wanted a home birth. And so, uh, we had everything set up, um, going into the last few months, uh, just really looking forward to welcoming him to welcoming him, him into a really uh, peaceful place. I, the reason I wanted a home birth uh, besides looking to have some, uh, a birth without intervention was because I'd never really been in a hospital before. I never had to go and spend any time. I was never sick. I never really had to visit anybody in the hospital. So it, it seemed, it seemed awkward for me, the idea of, of having to be in one to birth a child. Yeah. And also it's associated with being sick, really. Right. Right. It's, yeah. it's usually where people are sick or mm-hmm. end up in very traumatic situations. And, and, um, and also, uh, I had this dog, <laughs> which Penny? we can hear, we can hear oh. your other dog, yeah, in the background, sure. which is fine. That's These it. ones aren't as great as Penny was. Oh, Penny, rest <laughs> in peace. I love you. Yeah. So Penny was, um, Penny was my heart dog. Uh, yeah. she, she was a dog that I got when I was about 22 years old. And I honestly think that she, she, she took care of me and really, um, focused me on taking care of myself and, and like showed me responsibility and such. So I wanted, and she was at the time she was paralyzed and obviously dogs aren't allowed in the hospital anyway, but I, there was just so much about her being homebound that made me really want to make sure that she was there because she was this rock for me too. And I knew that I could sort of gaze over at Penny and I, and I knew that I could do it if she was around. Sweet. She was like your doula. Oh God, she was such my doula. She <laughs> a doggy doula. I love it. Doula. Um, so, so we were due with Luca. March seventeenth was his due date, and I, I, I worked. I worked all the way up until um, March eighth. Uh, my mucus plug fell out. March seventh, my mucus plug fell out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started laboring on, on the, the eighth and I had prodromal labor, which if you're not familiar with it, it's some women are so lucky that they get to labor for days <laughs> and they just have contractions that are really strong, but mm-hmm. they're not even in early labor. Um, so it was, uh, it was th- three days of just on and off, um, prodromals. And finally it really started kicking in on Saturday night. And, um, I, it was like, you know, I hadn't had much sleep over the last few days and had our, had visits with the midwife. Everything was doing great. He was fine. We had checked his heart tones and blood pressure and everything was great. And Saturday night I, I, I really started having a hard time and, um, called, called Vicky. I remember from the bathroom and told her that I needed her to come. So she came in early, early Sunday morning and, 
we were just going through contractions and doing different positioning. And she said, I think I was uh, about four centimeters still in early labor. My contractions were very sporadic. They would go from about 15 minutes apart to like five or six minutes apart and just up and down. Um, and, and we woke up on the morning of March 10th and it was beautiful out. It was like one of those crisp spring days. That's just so beautiful and sunny. And Vicky told us to go for a walk because we still had some work to do and she checked um, his positioning and heart tones and everything was good. So we went for a walk, which meant like we got to the driveway and I <laughs> had a contraction. So I went to the Subaru and, um, you know, moaned and the neighbors were probably looking at us funny. And then we made it to the tree and then I decided that we needed to come back because um, I was a little hungry. And uh, so just out of chance, Vicky checked his heart tones again and, she looked at me and she said, we have to go to the hospital. And I was in such a little bit of, well, I was in a daze because of not sleeping. And here I was in labor and she, she said that. And, um, I, it, it didn't sink in and, and Gina got really concerned and I was like, okay, well, crap, we have to go to the hospital that is the term that I was most scared of during my birthing classes. We had to talk about what we were most scared of and, and that was it. And I said out loud to my midwife who was leading the birthing class and my class of peers that, that I was mostly scared of not being able to have the natural labor and that I wanted and that I'd end up in the hospital. So here I was facing it mm-hmm. and I was, you know, I accepted it. I was okay with it. But then it was just like, okay, well, what are we doing? What do we bring? We grabbed our bags. Vicky called 911 because it was that urgent that we get there. Um, from then, it just was like one thing after the other went wrong. So you were transferred via ambulance. Uh, we were right? transferred yeah. via ambulance, although we almost went, um, we almost went in the car because the ambulance wasn't showing up and it was like 10, 15 minutes. And, um, and then when they did come, there was no lights and they were very nonchalant. And I, at this point was really starting to hyperventilate and, and get worried and cry because Vicky was visibly disturbed and was saying how urgent this was. And these, uh, apparently when she called the paramedics said, uh, had, there was a miscommunication and they didn't hear that she said that I was 39 weeks. They, they thought that I was under 20 weeks. So they considered it a non-viable pregnancy. Oh, wow. And so they didn't get the code to turn the lights on. So we hit like every light, every stop sign and they just stopped and would let people cross. And at that point I'm, you know, I'm screaming at this point, crying in the back of the, the, um, the ambulance and they didn't attempt to put a line in nothing. It was just the most, one of the most like the introduction to this traumatic, traumatic experience. So we finally got to the hospital. Um, we got there at 11 Oh five. They wheeled me into the emergency room. 
immediately the residents and the OBs of, of this working teaching hospital uh, ultrasounded me and the look on their faces, I knew something was terribly wrong, but one of them pointed and said, there's a flutter. We have to get you in immediately. I signed a form. They pulled my pants off. They wheeled me into the, um, the OR. And before I could even, I was even out, they had put the mask on my face and were putting a catheter in. I mean, I, and I remember just screaming with the faintest voice because I was hyperventilating, my baby, my baby. And, um, and I woke up and I was in the recovery area and Gina had just gotten there. And I remember the first thing I said to her was, I guess I have to take a few more weeks off of work because we had MV as a cesarean and it's going to be a little bit more of a, of a recovery. Cause I had no idea. I just assumed that they had gotten him and they had figured it all out. And, um, and then it, and then just if she didn't know what had happened either. And she was just sort of yesing me and, and they asked her to go to the NICU to see him. And all of a sudden there was doctors all around me. And, um, and, uh, I looked at them and it was a feeling again, that something was really wrong and my blood pressure was dropping drastically. Um, they were telling me that they needed to do some transfusions and, then they were telling me that I was internally bleeding and Gina came back at this point. They were talking to me about um, get, giving me a hysterectomy because of the internal bleeding and that it was uh, in my uterus and that this was something we needed to consider. If I wanted to see Luca earlier, I would just need to go ahead and get the hysterectomy. And, uh, and Gina made these big eyes and I had no idea what was going on. And she sort of walked away with the doctor and they decided to not do the hysterectomy. And later I found sort of out without you. Yeah. Well, which was good because I was saying we've already got our son. Mm. I don't need, I, we already have our child. We don't need anything else. Let's just go ahead and have the hysterectomy done. I want to see him. Okay. And then I started asking, when do I get to pump? Because I need to give him my milk. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a, like one thing after the other. Gina told me that he was sick and they were working on him. I didn't realize the gravity of it then. Um, and then ultimately decided to do an embolization the next morning and, and just do the transfusions and monitor me. And um, at that point I went, they considered it preeclampsia, but it's crazy because that's not generally – something that's happens once you've had the placenta taken out or the placenta's come out. So, so there's still sort of a mystery as to all of that, um, part of it. But when they took, when Luca was born, he was already brain dead. He had, um, there was no more amniotic fluid. He had, uh, he had swallowed a meconium and, he also was a small guy. The size of his placenta was a placenta for like a two pound baby. And he was just over five pounds. And when they took him out, he looked like he had wasting. 
Like his skin had sucked in, like he had lost weight. In, so he in, wasn't getting the nourishment he needed. No. And when they pulled out my placenta, um, they saw that it had clots, which they referred to as infarctions. So there, he wasn't getting the nourishment through the placenta because there were all these blockages. Mm. So, um, so I, I didn't know very much of this. And I was on all these narcotics and medications to take the pain away and try and fix the blood pressure and everything that was going on. And um, we did the embolization the first thing the next morning. I didn't see him. I, I, I didn't even see any pictures of him. Um, and then Sunday, I'm sorry, Monday morning, the embolization was done. I Within a few hours, my blood pressure was rising um, to a normal rate and everything was looking good. So they brought me over to labor and delivery. And at that point, I think it was the sort of gravity of the situation really um, started coming into focus. And Gina said, we have to get you out into labor and delivery so that you can meet him and that we can say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I think during this entire time, it was just such a fog because I thought I was in a dream. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine that everything that we had planned for in this gentle welcoming into this world of this baby that was so wanted could have gone farther in the opposite direction. I mean, I, I had to have a cesarean. That was fine. I was an emergency cesarean. That was fine. And then I almost died. And then he was going to die. And then he died. Yeah. And it was it was all a blur. I, I, I'm in some complicated grief treatment right now. And right. And we're in a point where we're having to um, record my memory of when he was placed in my arms and when he died. And so it's starting to come back to me a little bit more, but I remember them bringing him in and it was the first time I laid eyes on him and, and, uh, and he looked just like me. And, um, he had the faintest breath, like I could hear. I could hear him breathing. It was very labored. Yeah, they because they they kept him alive on on a machine, right? They, yeah. They yeah. Yeah, the, he was in the NICU, hooked up to everything, and when they took him off, he he was he just had a little bit of a breath on his own, mm-hmm. and um, and they placed him on me, and I rem- I remember feeling the weight of him on my left side, and I smelled him. And he smelled like, he smelled a little chemically because, he, you know, they had been using all these different things on him and cleaning him up. And, and, um, and I felt on his head, he had uh, some sutures where they had been monitoring his brain waves. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my first reaction my first thought when they put him on me was to get him into skin to skin because I thought if his body t- was directly on my body that, that I could fix him. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to lower my gown, but I'd already began to cry a little and everyone around me was just kind of in shock and nobody thought to, you know, because I wasn't saying it out loud, nobody thought to take his swaddle or his onesie off. And so at, after like 30 seconds of just sort of like me with all these uh, needles and 
IV lines and connected to every machine, trying to just clumsily move things around, I, I just stopped. And uh, I realized I couldn't fix them. And he, he kind of held onto my finger. <laughs> it's just so weird. And the doctor kept coming in to check on him, and he wouldn't tell me that he was gone. But he just kept coming in and, I think, making sure we were all right. And finally I started to notice that he was turning blue, and I knew he was gone. <laughs> And it, and I didn't know that we could keep him longer. I, I started having contractions, which were making it difficult on my suture and the pain. Yeah. I didn't know that we could keep him longer. I didn't know that we should take pictures with him. I had no idea what to do with a dead baby. And uh, so we gave him back, and that was it. It was I like maybe spent... I don't know, like an hour. I have no idea the amount of time we actually spent with him. Yeah. I know he died around 5.45 in the evening. Um, this is on the 11th, the day after. 11th, yeah. 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 So, so it, was, it was a lot. It was a really a lot to take in just a small amount of time. And um, I spent one day in labor and delivery after he passed away. And then they, they shuffled us off to the antenatal unit up, up in the 10th floor of the hospital and we were by ourselves and it seemed like everybody in the hospital forgot about us <laughs> and we were in a little bit of a cocoon and that was it uh, I spent three days recovering and <clears throat> the nurse's assistants pushed us out in the wheelchair and Gina had gotten the car ready for us they pushed us out the front doors and um we got in, I got into the car and his, his, his car seat was in the back all ready for him. And, yeah. and it, it was just, was the hardest five minute car ride <laughs> that I'd ever taken in my life. And then we got home and it was, you know, we had to face everything that we had had ready for him. And, and that was just the beginning really. Right. Now, you did get some pictures. Who was able to take those for you? Because I know you have pictures of you. Yeah, guys. so we ended up taking like 166 pictures. <laughs> I remembered that you knew the number, but I didn't know yeah. how it, many. It, it varies sometimes because I've like taken pictures of pictures, and then I'm like, I do something <laughs> different with it. So I'm like, that's another picture. Uh, <laughs> and some, I mean, some really uh, beautiful ones. And, and yeah. a friend was there taking them. Yeah, so our midwives were in the room with us when he was um, in when they brought him to us. And so between Nicole and Vicky and then also Gina, Gina was taking pictures. Okay. So we were able to just snap a bunch of photos and, and those are the ones that we cherish the most. I mean, that's all we really have are his pictures. Now, when you said I didn't know I was supposed to take pictures of him and that I could keep him, yeah. you mean that you you might have wanted to take pictures of just him or, or spend more time. I think you told me before, like undress him, look at him, you know, yeah. like take him in, like yeah. really look at all of him. Yeah. I, it's uh, you know, I, I'd never been exposed to anybody that had lost a child before. Um, I never spoke with anybody about the experience. I'd never read about it. And yeah. you know, immediately after I found all these blogs and moms that had told the stories or doulas and midwives that had, you know, kind of 
suggested and directed their 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 patients and to really spending time with the baby like removing all the clothing and bathing them and you know, I, I met a, a mama recently that she had her baby for almost two days and and took it outside. They took pictures. They went on walks at the hospital. Just everything, mm-hmm. and uh, and those are things that I, you know, you hate to have regret in life. <laughs> Man, do I regret not being able to have any idea of what his little belly looked like, or his knees, or yeah. his caps, or his elbows right so well not to even know that there was a protocol or like a suggested way to deal with this because you know who who really plans for this kind of stuff (laughs) nobody and it's not it's not something that we talk about because it's it's there's really nothing more disturbing than the idea of a child or baby dying yeah. So, so we don't talk about it in our society, in our world, and in our pregnant mama groups, we don't discuss it. Um, well, yeah, because someone's going to say you're upsetting me or something, yeah. you know. Yeah. At least give a trigger warning, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. That, trigger warning. The, the new thing, as long as we warn people, we're going to talk about heavy stuff. Um, like my life with it, huh? trigger warning, so you shouldn't pay attention unless you really... Yeah, that's a really good segue, actually, your life as a trigger warning, because, I mean, talk a little bit about how people treated you. I mean, both the good, the supportive, and the not-so-supportive after the fact. Well, the first thing I want to bring up now is that the first therapist grief counselor that we went to uh, the week after Luca died told us that our community, our village, was going to be divided into three. Hmm. A third of the village was going to drop off and not mention anything about it. A third of our village was going to show up and be there for us and carry us through. And then ones would come through the woodworks and then become part of it. And then the last third was going to be our friends that wanted to fix us and that ultimately they couldn't. And then they'd also drop off because they just couldn't deal. And it couldn't have been more true. Um, we had a good, solid group of people that really showed up. Um, it, it it was hard because uh, my work, my boss at the time sent out an email to all my contacts, and I had very good relationships with all my contacts and told them essentially that we wanted our privacy and for nobody to contact us. And um, and so no one contacted us except – was that what you wanted or that's what, that's no. what she assumed? Okay. Um, she assumed it. I, I think that I was in a, a drugged up stupor when I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine to send. But she assumed it. And she had had, she had shared later that she had a loss early on in her pregnant, on one of her pregnancies and that she knew what it was like, but we were just two very different people. Yeah. And, um, and it, it also, she, it, she had a different story than I did. And, and it wasn't what, what was right for her wasn't right for me. And ultimately, these people that I'd had relationships with for six years that were, you know, a part of an extended family for me, um, never contacted me about it. And when I went back to work, they didn't even mention me being pregnant, me have having had and lost Luca, nothing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that was very traumatic. Uh, that that portion, um, people immediately dropped off because, well, after the first couple of weeks, they dropped off because they couldn't see us. Um, they couldn't watch 
our shit show of a life anymore. They is like uh, I even had some really close family members that said that my life was this shit storm and that I needed to just like get get it together and move on um, and get some closure. And um, and then there was the ones that couldn't fix it. I, I remember with this one really wonderful um, couple friend of ours that were very into the church and very supportive the first few weeks and they, they just completely blocked us and never, never contacted us again. Um, after one of them sent an email saying that I needed to, to know, to move on. And I said, that's not really, you know, you, you can't, you, you don't know what this, this, this love and pain is like. So you, you really don't have any business telling me to move on. And I appreciate you reaching out, but I want to tell you like, this is, what you can say instead. And, and they just never contact us again. Yeah. So when people wanted to figure out, they just wanted you to basically go back to the way you were like, yeah. just forget yeah. this happened and you didn't get pregnant or have a son and he didn't exactly. die and like, okay. You're- and what, what most people don't understand is that having a birthing a child, becoming a mother, whichever, becoming a parent, whichever way it happens, the old you is, is gone. You know, that, that, that person, that, person that you were dies yeah. and are re- reborn in this new role of a parent because you, you, you have to, you're taking care of this being, this soul that's gotten, got sent to you. And so there's so much that's changed. And then, and then here I am with no child, right? I, pre- I prepared and, and wanted this child and he, and he wasn't there. And, and so the, the thirds came, came, came up. Um, then there was also, uh, I'm going to share the, the good stuff soon. Um, but <laughs> there's also my family, my blood family. Um, I had one, one really close group of cousins and those are the ones that, you know, explained that they needed to, you know, block my Facebook feed because I was going crazy on Facebook and uh, the shit show. And yeah. then um, a few days after I came home from the hospital, I, I don't talk to my siblings and my, and I wasn't talking to my mother at the time because, um, of some internal family conflict and ultimately they're not supportive of the fact that, that I'm a lesbian, uh, and they don't respect my family the way that I need it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, they just weren't in my life and I didn't really think that I wanted them in Luca's life either. Um, so I didn't, I hadn't talked to them in over a year and I didn't tell them that I was pregnant. And then, uh, everything happened with Luca and the the cousins that I was closest with sort of funneled the information to my family. And, um, and I got a letter in the mail, which is not really right to call it a letter because it was one of those, um, maybe like three by three yellow post-it notes with lines on them. Uh Uh-huh. And my mother wrote that this is all part of God's plan and um, didn't mention anything like, I'm so sorry, I love you, nothing like that, and just kind of signed it, Mom, and said she was praying for me. And, um, and that was it. Wow. And, um, I mean, they knew, that I, they knew that I was really sick, and they now knew that he had passed away, and that's, that's the only way they reached out to me. Um, so that really, that really brought up a, a lot more of this, you know, I, I lost the family that I was trying to create with Luca or this, this, this next level of family I was creating with, with Gina, with Luca. And, 
And then of course that, that sort of like, that's the driving and the screw into my heart of uh, like not getting any empathy or compassion for my family. But that's when um, the friend family really just mobilized and took care of us. And we had uh, a train of people coming through, bringing us meals and taking care of um, us in different ways. And I had my Mayan massage therapist came and gave me Reiki and our midwives were there every day and they would come and it was uh, so lovely to think of it now but they would come and I was laying in bed and they would come and they would one would grab my hands and hold them and the other would hold my feet and uh, my old yoga teachers came I remember Oh, this one amazing yoga teacher came that I hadn't seen in years and she brought me one big crystal. <laughs> and she was like, wear it, wear it near your heart. I mean, it was just like immense, like almost a geode. Wow. <laughs> and she brought it to me and uh, it's, um, and she brought me herbs and my old coworkers, you know, made a, a collage of pictures of dogs and with signs <laughs> for us and just oh. really wonderful sort of outpourings of love and um yeah and speak of dogs someone was caring for penny when you had to go into the hospital because penny they, needed her own special diet right uh, yeah she had her own special diet and again she was paralyzed so they needed to carry her outside yeah. go potty and carry her and bring her back inside her house and put her on the bed and yeah, yeah they they mobilized immediately um gina made a call to to my good friend Kristen, and Kristen had our our, my coworker and good friend Kat come and she stayed with the dogs while we were in the hospital and everybody came in and, and they made Penny her special organic and herb <laughs> diet and yeah. they took care of everything and, um, you know, filled our refrigerator up with organic food and everything that we could want. And, um, yeah, and, and that's what got us through and, and the, you know, we, we'd, um, deactivated our Facebook accounts as soon as he died in the hospital because I didn't want to, because people had already been asking, when is he, is he here yet? You know? Oh, I see. Yeah. I just couldn't, didn't want to have to deal with that yet. And it's just what came to my mind, you know, and that, and I don't know if I ever shared it with you, but I, I deleted every picture I had of myself pregnant and I deleted all his ultrasound pictures because I thought I was, it would be an easier way to, deal with it and I was under the influence of drugs at the time. Yeah. and then it just makes me so sad to think about because I had all these beautiful pictures of myself pregnant and I, I got rid of all of them you have the one that maybe that's why you love it so yeah the, one, the pic- one you'll see here attached to the podcast yeah and we got some professional photos done and those were kept and the pictures that Gina had of me she kept and yeah um, so we have some, it just, I think I, this makes me mad at myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, we don't plan for this stuff and we don't know what our reaction is going to be when yeah. stuff happens like this. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. And now I didn't know Carla and Gina when they had Luca, I met her in my teacher training. Carla was taking the same one as me. And, um, you told, you told the shortened version of the Luca story the first day in our, in our circle together. Yeah, And I was just blown away because it was really a testament in this. 
And I don't know if I ever shared this with you, Carla, that, that Carla went last in our circle. And, and I, I thought, I wonder why she's going last. She seems reluctant to talk. Maybe she's shy or maybe she doesn't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> and then when she told her story, I mean, I was just, it, to me, it was like the best reminder that you have no clue what anyone is going through in any yeah. given moment in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I thought her name was Karma. I did. Don't she introduce herself? I'm like, Karma? What a cool name. <laughs> and I was like, who the hell is this? <laughs> She's so bubbly. <laughs> yeah. And when she just, and and I was, I was just really moved. I, I, I still, and, and I think this is just, I bring this up because I know how important this is to you and, and other lost moms is to just have their children talked about. Yeah. And I talk about Luca. My friends all know that I have a friend who lost a son and and I don't really care when I get those looks like, oh, my God, stop talking to me about this. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> and I've gotten those <laughs> from people that will, like, get glassy-eyed and, yeah. and look the other way. And I know that my experience is just, like, so, so minuscule compared to everything that you go through. Because basically any time you, you interact with someone and they ask, like, oh, is this your only kid? <laughs> You have to say, or or not, like you make the choice. Yeah, but I mean, and you know that I'm very forward and and completely upfront about about being a mother to two children, yes. and and I always talk about him because there was one time where two months after he was born, we were at a Kentucky Derby party, mm. and a woman, yeah, and a woman turned to Gina and I and said, "Do you have any kids? Are you going to have any kids?" Like was just drilling us and. We didn't know what to say because we hadn't had the discussion yet because we really hadn't been too much out in public since he passed away. And and we didn't say anything. And we both went home that night and and just cried to each other. Like how how could we dishonor him? He was he's still a member of our family. He's he was everything that we wanted. And how could we lie or not do anything? Be so just complacent in the fact that this woman thought we didn't have a child. And, um, and from that point forward, Gina and I like, fuck this, you ask me, you're going to get it. And I'm sorry if it's uncomfortable for you, but this is my story. This is my life. And I don't have to censor it for you. Absolutely. And so some people are, are fine with it and very much. That's where you get the third, the (laughs) third that can handle it. And, and And that's, and that's okay. Because you know what? i I just, I think that there are two ways that you can sort of approach it. You, well, I mean, I guess there's a few different ways, but the major ones are you either never have heard of it and you have the empathy to show up for that person regardless, or it's so uncomfortable and you're not willing to do the work to be uncomfortable and you, you leave it, you go, you, um, you, you don't be friends with that person, um, yeah, so. and I think everyone is going to need something different. And just like you said, your boss had a different story than what your story was. So mm-hmm. at the very least, when you are faced with someone who's going through something like this or, you know, similar, you can ask. Um, I, I think that I've definitely learned that in that you know that you want to talk about him and anyone that's going to ask, you'll share. And and I kind of always assume that I think some people do that when someone dies or when it's difficult, people just don't want to talk about it. Right. And you don't, I don't, I've never asked though. 
And now that's just something that I've learned. I'd say, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to tell me about it? Instead of just making the assumption that talking about it's going to be too difficult. And so I just won't say anything, which is clearly much worse. (laughs) I mean, I think asking, I think most people that have experienced a great loss, it was someone that they miss so much and they don't get to talk about would just sort of Maybe they some of them would be hesitant initially, or it would upset them. But after talking about your loved one, you know, you feel like you've had a visit with them, or you've had your soul feels like their their spirits near you, yeah. right? So that's that's what it's like for us. And you know, Gina, um, you know, we we both have Luca's name tattooed on us, and Gina ultimately got him on her knuckles, and that's been such a great segue for her. Because people ask her all the time, what's on her knuckles and what is, what, what is it, yeah. what does that mean? And she always says, it's my son's name. Yeah. And we've had so many times where there's been an interaction at like the farmer's market or, you know, in the, in just any sort of odd location that we might be at and, and they'll ask and then something will come out of it. And then that it's like, we, we take that as a sort of like, a coincidence, a hug from him, like a, 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 his reminder that he's with us all always. Yeah. That was going to be sort of my next question. And I mean, I, you've mentioned ways that you honor him by speaking his name, by making sure he's still a, an active member of your family, by these little heaven hugs from him out on the path. But what are some other things that you do or how do you feel him with you? Um, every day I, I check in with him. i I, I don't pray to God, but I pray to Luca, oh. and I um, I ask him to take care of us and to show me where I'm supposed to go and and help me to figure out what I'm supposed to do in life because <laughs> I feel I feel just you know a little off my rocker right now. Um, yeah, and, and I have been um, this postpartum period and. Yeah, I mean, I have have so many other questions. I feel like we could have a whole nother topic because we didn't even really get to talk about Elia. Yeah. uh, Gina and Luca have this beautiful rainbow baby, which is the term used for a baby born after a loss. Yeah. And it's it's a double rainbow baby because (laughs) because they're lesbians. (laughs) Because people sometimes, I just recently joined this queer mama group on Uh Facebook. And and they're all, it's my baby. baby. So they're like, it's, and this is my rainbow baby. And I'm like, oh my God, they all have, oh, they all think it's a rainbow because it's gay. Oh God. Right. Yeah. So it's a term yeah. used for a baby born after a lost rainbow. Yeah. yeah. They, the saying is that after the storm comes a rainbow and the storm, being, you know, the loss of a child or pregnancy. Yeah. But Elia is, yeah. Elia is in a completely other other sh- other time to for us to talk. <laughs> well, she is. She really is. I, I mean, I kind of had in, incorporated, like, wanted to weave the parenting after loss in, but I'm glad that you got to tell your story so completely that way, especially if it was something you're going through, which is in your treatment, which is, a, yeah. you know, just more uh, reason why it's important for people to talk when they're ready because there is this healing that happens. Yeah. And that's a layer that can, can sort of be uncovered of the loss, perhaps. Mm-hmm. these losses were layered on in so many ways, starting from just knowing you had to go to the hospital to the treatment in the ambulance to the just myriad of things that went wrong in the beginning and then coming and home. The, yeah. And then coming to meet people, you know, introducing myself to people and being in mom groups. Um, yeah. 
you know, I, I, I talk about sometimes how double strollers they they irk me, you know, I, it's like, I, I, sh- I, I could, you know, I, in theory, I should have one with yeah. both of my children and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's hard sometimes when people can have babies so easily and maybe then they're complaining about their baby or their child doing this or that. And, you know, I, I want to be empathetic and, and I don't know their story, but, you know, when they say that in front of me, I, I kind of wish that, that I, I could just, um, punch them in the face, punch them in the face and <laughs> take their baby. Uh, I mean, not really, but like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, if you're going to complain about your baby doing this, I'll it's take it for baby. you. <laughs> yeah. I'll. Well, if you could, because I, I don't want to keep it too long just, just for the time's sake and for people to be able to listen to it in full, um, what are just a few things that you would say to someone someone that's going through grief? How could someone support a person going through grief? So 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 talk about it. Don't, don't abandon them. Right. Talk about it. Don't abandon them. Yeah. Show, show up. It's going to be uncomfortable, but just show up and be there. You don't have to fix them. That's you know, a they're huge not one. You're not yeah. there to fix anything. I'm yeah. taking a Brene Brown's course right now, going through her two different books, and she talks about empathy. And I know you're familiar with her term of empathy in that video yeah. that was posted. Mm-hmm. So I think you shared That's such it. That's a great video. Yeah. Yeah, it's like just get in there, just be in yeah. the trenches. And empathy is not about fixing; it's about feeling what they're feeling. And and I mean, I think your midwives illustrated it absolutely perfectly. They came in, they held your hands, they held your feet. Yeah. They literally held you. Yes. And, and there's a, a, you know, a friend of mine lost, um, both of her parents, uh, one, her father earlier, just, I think when she was in college and, and her mother died suddenly, um, just a few years ago. And, and it was before Luca died. And, uh, and I was really uncomfortable with talking to her and I said some really insensitive things like you can have my mom. Like how fucked up is that? I offered her my mom cause my mom sucks. Uh, <laughs> Hey, it's all, you know, I think we've all been there. I know that I wasn't doing the right thing, you know, or saying the right thing. And I probably still will. I mean, that's the thing. We're probably going to screw up again. Yeah. Because even though you've been through what you've been through, you might still say the wrong thing at a moment and not, you know, even mean to. Right. Um, But I I circled around after, uh, after Luca passed away, I I especially brought it up to her. I was like, I'm so sorry that I was such a, a, you know, like a, just a complete, completely mindless when I spoke with you, but I didn't know. And, um, and she started a a Facebook page and a website, um, talking about getting, you know, finding peace through grief. And, and one of the things that she shared with me was that, um, joy shared is doubled and grief shared is halved. So, so let the people around you carry some of it and let the people around you, um, try and hold you up and nourish, nourish you everything from feeding you to, um, you know, bringing you funny movies or TV shows to watch, to, to have a little escape from all the pain that you're feeling. Um, and ultimately, you know, after those first few weeks, because I feel like that's such still an issue. We had a, a mama that lost her baby in the community just a few months ago and, and not a word is said about her baby still after everything that was acknowledged and, and, you know, shared from my experience. And it makes me mad, you know, you know, like she still needs support. She needs people to bring up his name. She needs people to be there. And I, and we all have our different processes, but like, that's one of the best ways 
to support a friend that has, has experienced the losses is, um, especially with a baby, like bring up their name, talk about them, do something in their honor. Right. Um, so that you know that they weren't forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know you said you left and, and you felt like you weren't honored as a mother. Like you yeah. didn't go through that cause everyone just decided to sweep it under the rug, the pregnancy, exactly. the birth, the death. Yeah. Nobody asked me about my pregnancy, right? Because, because my child had died. So what validity did I bring to the table as a mother? Right. Yeah. So. And, yeah. I, and I know that the comment you made about being totally changed, you're a new person. I know no one would argue with that for someone who had a living child. Oh, yeah, your life's totally different. Everything's changed. But just because you didn't bring home a living child, I think people made an assumption that everything could just go back to normal. Like you could just right. erase that. <laughs> right. Like nothing had changed. So, wow. yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you being so outspoken and I, and I don't mind the discomfort. I don't feel it with you. I certainly have with other losses and, and I continue to be aware of that, that if I start to feel uncomfortable, that it's okay. I don't have to sweep it away. I don't have to try and fix my discomfort or theirs yeah. and just let it be what it is because it's shitty. I mean, there's really, it's, this is, you know, it wasn't a good situation. I think some good came out of it and, um, Carla and Gina have done a lot of amazing things that maybe I can... I don't know if you have a link to, to the, the document that you made, but they were left from the hospital with so, so little uh, information and outdated information on how to reach out and how to get support and what they were going to be going through and that they created something for the hospital yeah. um, where, where Luca was born so that anyone that's left without a baby from the hospital, which happens that they have a little bit more support. And I remember that you said that it said something like, you may find yourself crying. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> what, it's, really? Yeah. It said you may find yourself crying for, for days up to a few weeks. And, and it was, it was kind of comical when we were going through that um, literature because I was, you know, cause I was changing things like years. You could, <laughs> you're going to cry for every milestone for the rest of your life because Virtually, you're going to, yeah, that's the layers of loss. And it's, it's, you know, we talk about complicated grief, but I think that grief is complicated. I mean, they use that term for someone who hasn't uh, experienced grief in what they consider a normal or natural way, but that's, that's, that's all grief, I think. <laughs> yeah. And in a world where we're so focused on being the happiest person that we can be all the time, it doesn't really allow for, for that, um, for that discomfort of being in just a place where you're experiencing loss, but you're also experiencing it, it's so multifaceted, right? There's so much love involved with loss yeah. and we don't really think about that um, and how much that sort of grows us. I mean, we crack wide open and we're forced to deal with life after, after these immense losses. So yeah. So in, in addition to the, the literature that they put together, they also are available. I mean, I, I know that, that Carla often gets calls. So-and-so is going through this. Would you reach out to her? And, mm -hmm. and so now that now future mamas, hopefully within at least your circle, aren't going to go through not knowing uh, how to, how to na navigate that, or at least getting some feedback about what they might like to do. Yeah. So they don't later have regrets about, you know, looking at Luca's belly. Yeah. Oh, exactly. he had the most beautiful lips. He did. He oh. did. And you know what? Elliot's got the same one. She so he does. It's to... true. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's beautiful to see the resemblance of, between Ellie and her brother. Yeah. She's yeah. so lucky to have a big brother like Luca. 
She is. And we are lucky because if it hadn't been for Luca and everything that we went through with him, um, we wouldn't have Elia. And she is the absolute light of our lives. She is amazing. (laughs) Well, let me, um, I'm just going to finish by uh, asking a couple questions that are sort of unrelated just about you in general. Okay. Um, What's a book that changed your life? Uh, The Alchemist. That's a good one. Okay. And yeah. I'll, I'll link all this stuff. In addition, you talked yeah. about Business of Being Born and Ina May. I'll put, I'll put links yeah, to yeah. stuff for people that um, maybe don't know about that. Um, what about your favorite yoga pose? Uh, it's a, it's a toss up. I really love Trikonasana. Uh huh. Um, but I'm also a huge fan of Shavasana. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say supported fish because when you get me there, I'm like, oh, uh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, oh. I, I do love a good supportive. You know, I've been shying away from um, from back, uh, heart opening and sort of back bends a little bit. So I, I think just because of where I'm at. Yeah. Um, but I saw a really funny quote about, uh, or like one of those memes in, on Instagram, and it uh-huh. said, Namaste in Shavasana. <laughs> I'm just going to hang here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but I, I've been really enjoying. Um, but triangle pose again, I don't know why for some reason it's all of a sudden, um, been, been on the favorite list. Yeah. That's nice. Well, getting back into your body and doing yoga, I think is something you're revisiting. Yeah. That's nice. I busted out a bird of paradise the other day. Sweet. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, wanted, cool. I wanted to scream. And <laughs> like, Look everybody. <laughs> you got it. Oh, well, I'm so grateful for you and that our cross, our paths crossed um, and just everything that you bring to the world. You are amazing. Thank you. And you know, I feel the same. I love you very much. I love you. Huh. Well, is there just any one more thing that I just didn't, didn't get to? I mean, like we could have a whole nother, we can do this all over again. And, I, and I think that one thing that I didn't really talk about is um, how, how ostracized I felt from the natural birthing community. Because here we were, you know, I, I mean, like when I tell people that he was born via emergency cesarean, they're like, oh, God, cesarean. <laughs> and I want to be like, I'm going to slap you. Did you not hear me preface it with emergency? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, can I, you know, like give you a snapshot of what my house looked like with the birthing pool and all the rebozo and the ball, like everything we were doing to have this child at home. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and just that. I remember being on uh, like a one of these crunchy mama groups and a young lady, a young woman that was a mama said, I don't understand how any women have cesareans. It's just a completely unnecessary surgery. And it just is, I don't know why people do it. It's just like, so just her, even the terminology was pretty much like that. Like, just like, just, just, just. <laughs> and, um, and I, it took me so much to not respond because I feel like a lot of these times on when you're on social media, it's, it's not worth the energy really. I think if you're going to come in contact, come into contact with somebody face to face, you can share with them. But a lot of times it's, it's really wasted energy on these forums. So, um, but it hurt, it hurt me so hard because there is nothing more that I wanted than to deliver my child vaginally and have this beautiful, like epic, maybe orgasmic birth at home. Yeah. 
you know, and have Gina catch him mm-hmm. and have the dogs next to us and eat my fucking placenta. And, you know, like all these just, just totally crunchy hippie things that I wanted for my baby and my pregnancy and my, and his birth. And I didn't get it. I'm never going to get it. Yeah. And all, uh, you, all you judgy mamas <laughs> come together. It's, it, yeah. I mean, that's what this is about. That's what this podcast is about is that that's our greatest strength is being able to support one another. And when we get on our pedestal or our high horse about what we did versus what someone else or what we should have done or what they it's Put just, yourself it's... in my shoes, you know? You don't know how it feels to be the other person. Have you never given birth? Have you never been pregnant and you're making these assertions about pregnancy and birth? Like, don't do it. Just don't do it. Just, just uh, you know, be vulnerable to the fact that, that, that we have no idea what life's going to bring us and, and everybody's story is different and, it, and we're beautiful in all of our different stories, even when it's such such a, a a crazy ending you know that's so. it right there we're beautiful yeah. all of our stories no matter the path and the ending and even if it's not what we thought it was it's it's ours I mean like you said this is my story I can tell it how I want and even if you yeah. get uncomfortable I'm, I'm still gonna tell it because that's that's what works for you and for your family and to keep Luca's legacy alive yes well, thank you, Carla. I appreciate it. And thank you to Gina for taking Elia out. <laughs> and no thank you to the dogs for being bad. But Well, they were okay. <laughs> that was a very little disruption. Thank you Just to the little. dogs, too. <laughs> um, thank you for, uh, for well, having me a part of this. I you love... know that I love you. Our feelings are very mutual for each other. We're, we're lucky to know each other. Yeah, it feels good. Always feels good when I connect with you. So, well. Have a great day. I love you. And take care of yourself. Do whatever you need to do to to hold yourself in the space after telling all of that. Yeah. I'm gonna um I'm gonna I think my baby's just arriving, so I'm gonna lay down with her and perfect just be mama. Oh well give her a kiss for me. I will. I'll talk to you soon. Say hi to